Good morning. Well, that's bright. You all right? Great, great. I'm also excited about the England match. My name's Luke. Hello. I am Luke. I'm a member here at Woodside. Been here a while now, over a decade. Um, um, today I'm going to be talking to you from a story in the Bible that I'm sure, if you've, you're a, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you would have heard. Um, and if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard it as well. It's a very famous, very famous story. And if you've done any kids' work in the past or run any um, Sunday schools, I'm sure you've taught this as well. The question is, is there anything that this story can teach an adult? And I believe there is, and I think that's why it's in the Bible. So we're going to read it. So it's in Luke chapter 8, and it's verse 22. Starting at verse 22. It says this. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came on the, down on the lake, and they, were, and, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Now, when I read this story, I had a nagging question that I know other people have had, because my, my friend told me he had the same question. And that is, how is it fair that Jesus can rebuke them for being worried in a storm? Surely that's a normal human response to being in a storm. And the thing was, the likelihood is these guys, definitely three of them, potentially seven of them were fishermen. They spent a lot of time on this very lake catching fish. They had probably experienced all kinds of weathers. So, so if they're worried, it's probably, it's probably something to be worried about. If you're on an airplane and you see the cabin crew panicking, you panic. These guys were panicking. These guys were worried. And so, so how, can, how can he do that? How can he rebuke them? Is it, was, he, was he rebuking them because they didn't yet believe that he was God? And I don't, I don't think it was that. And I don't think it was that because the revelation of Jesus being fully God and fully man was something that came with time. It was a progressive revelation. It was something they started to learn the longer they knew him. And this story is very early on in his ministry. And this would have been one of those moments that that truth began to dawn on them. See, as the adrenaline worn off and and it is calm and they pulled up by the shore, I wonder if some of the psalms popped into their minds. I wonder if Psalm 107 came into their head. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Or maybe Psalm 89. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Maybe this was the start of them understanding him as God. But he wouldn't have been rebuking them about that because they didn't know it yet. Maybe he was rebuking them because surely they should know if you're with Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. Nothing, don't worry, it's not going to end, end badly. It can't be true. It can't be true because we know that 11 of those 12 disciples were eventually murdered. So that can't be true. And we also know that as a Christian, 
We go through tough times. And there's nowhere in the Bible that promises us that it's going to be easy. So that couldn't have been why he rebuked them. So why was he rebuking them? I think there were two reasons. One we see in Luke's account, and one we see in Mark's account of the same story. We'll look at that later. But as you read different accounts, there's, there's four Gospels, and sometimes they emphasize different things. But if you put them together, you get a full picture, almost like a puzzle is unveiled, and you see the full scope of what's happening. And that, with this story, this is one of those stories where you need two different accounts. See, Jesus was totally in control. I believe they were worried that the fact that they didn't trust his control was one of the reasons he rebuked them. In fact, the, ver- the word that they used, in this version it says rebuked. In Mark, I think it says, he says, peace be still, very English. But actually, the term that was used in the Greek was more akin to saying to a dog, sit. It was a command. It was a forceful word. It wasn't a gentle, peace be still. It was a sit. He was totally in control. When he said to them, let us go across the lake, I doubt, I doubt they thought much about the journey. They've been on the lake many times, as I said. They probably just worked out a simple route to the other side, and they probably just envisioned themselves on the other end of the lake. But they didn't see what was going to happen, happen. And none of us do. We don't. When we plan our lives and we do maybe a five-year plan, where am I going to be in 2022? How am I going to get there? Nobody puts in, in that space a six-month period of utter turmoil. Uh, one year this, year two this, then turmoil year three. Nobody does that. We don't do that. And we don't do that because, we, well, one, one we, we just don't think it's going to happen to us. And two, you can't plan for that stuff. And I doubt they were thinking like that. See, some of us, some of us have planned for our lives and some of us think, a nice retirement. You're planning for your retirement. And you're thinking, well, we'll move here. Lovely walks there. And you have it all in order. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Some of you have plan, are planning for children. We're going to have three kids. Two boys, a girl, a bunny, a little dog. You plan it. But you, you don't know. You, do, you, do, you don't know that you might struggle with a process of pregnancy. We don't know. The happy couple that want retirement might might end up being one. We don't know. But it's important that we know that whatever we plan, every wave that hits the boat of your life is known by God. Every wave that laps that side of that ship, God knew about it even if you didn't. Even if you didn't. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or storms, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, sometimes God does steal the storms, like he did here, the storms being a circumstance. Sometimes you pray, Lord, do this, done. I met a friend recently who's but it was made redundant, he got, and within the same company, they said, well, you either leave the company fully, or there's a new post you can apply for. So he applied for it, he got the job. And he hated the job. I hated it. He, he was filled with anxiety, he was worried, he was, what am I going to do? Um, on my, he was doing a job originally in the office, and now he was travelling in a car, and he said, I'm lonely, I didn't think I liked people, but it turns out I do. Um, <laughs> uh, um, 
all that stuff. And he was really worried and he's panicking. He's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, right, okay. We, we did a little scorecard. I asked him some questions that we were going to come back to in four weeks' time and see if there's any development. If there wasn't, we were going to make a decision. If there was, decision's already made. So, so that was on the Friday. I said, right, let's pray. So we prayed together. We prayed about the situation. On the Monday, he texted me. I said, how's it going? He said, I love it. I love it. Some, something's changed. I'm enjoying it. I don't know why, but literally, I've, I'm enjoying being at work. And since that day, although it's busy, he's loving his job. A complete turnaround. That was a Friday. He had, he had about three, two or three weeks before of hating his job. Spoke to him on Friday, Monday, different ball game. Sometimes God completely calms the storm of the circumstance. Done. Sometimes he says, peace be still to the storm. But sometimes, and I would argue more often than not, he says to us, peace be still. In my wrestling and in my doubt, in my failure, you won't, won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. Psalm 46, thank you. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though mountains tremble by its swelling. That's one to three. Then it goes all the way down to ten. It says this, be still and know that I am God. God calls us to be still. And there is greater victory in going through a storm and being still yourself. Sometimes God sorts the situation out and sometimes when you're praying, Lord, do this, do this, and he doesn't do it, you're asking God, why you aren't answering my prayer? He's going to answer, he wants to answer it in a different way, in a way that requires you to focus and him to say, be still. The waves are still going, but you be still. I remember about a couple of weeks back, no, this was, no, this was two months, this one was two months ago. Two months ago, I, I, I've, I have a bit of a problem with fear anyway, and God's dealing with that in me. But I had an, um, a crazy fear that my wife, for no apparent reason, no logical reason, didn't make sense, there was no reason for it, I, thought she was, I was worried that she was going to leave me, that I was going to get divorced. Don't know why, my marriage is fine. But I had this strange fear, and I'd be driving the car, and suddenly this fear would envelop me, and I'd worry about it, and I'd panic, and I'd text her the silly little... You know, text that you do. Oh, is that, are you going to leave me? And she's probably thinking needy. But anyway, I, I did, I did. Anyway, anyway, long story cut short, I, pr- I, I prayed, I was writing in my little prayer book, how, generally how I pray is I write. And I was writing in my prayer book, it was a three page, pr- three page of prayers, very holy, I know. On page two, about halfway down page two, I had my Spotify on my headphones, listening to classical music without any words, because that would distract me. So as I was writing my prayers, um, I wrote one sentence in this, in this book, and it said, uh, oh, I've missed a bit, haven't I? I've missed a bit. Um, there was a, the, I read the Bible. I prayed, asked God to help me in this situation. Anyway, I was highlighted to a Bible verse that says, uh, I've lost my way. Fantastic. Okay. 
It was a verse that says, even though 10,000 may fall, uh, go against me, it will not come near you, is what the verse says. And I felt, even though it had nothing to do with marriage, when I read it, I felt very strongly that God was like, there are thousands of divorces, stay with me, it won't come near you. And, that, and, and sometimes when you read the Bible, it happens. Even though it's not about that, something happens to you, and you're like, okay. And I felt God had spoken, and God had calmed the storm instantly, and the panic left. The next day is where I was originally. The next day I was writing in my three-page thing, and I wrote, thank you for what you said to me yesterday from Psalm 91. It's really helped me to be a bit more relaxed. As I wrote that line, um, my Spotify song, my Spotify headphones changed song. Or my phone was something in a different room. Changed song, and, and as I, was writing, I stopped writing, and I thought, it's weird. And it, the words of the song were a song I've not even got on my, of my list, and it was Psalm 91. So I wrote that song, and, and that, those words that I just quoted, it will not come near you, were playing in my ears as I wrote that song. Since then, I haven't worried about that. That one is gone. There's other things, but that one, God has been gracious and dealt with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes God wants us to relinquish our control in situations and give them to him. So I reckon from this story based on a few reasons, based on the fact he said, you've got no faith, and based, up, based on the fact it says it was filling, the boat was filling up with water, I reckon they didn't go to Jesus straight away. I reckon it took a few minutes. Maybe, I mean being kind with a few minutes, maybe a bit longer. I reckon it took a few minutes. And even more so, I strongly suspect that they weren't expecting him to still the storm. And I don't think that because Jesus rebuked. He says, where is your faith in, in Mark's account? Where's your faith? So it couldn't have been they were waking him up to still the storm. I think they were waking him up to grab a bucket. That's what I think. I think they wanted him to muck in. Come on, help out. You as well. My question to us today is how often... Do you give God control of a situation? How often do you ask him to grab a bucket? How often do you, do you try and do A, B, C, D, E, F, G and ask God to help out with the next one? Just one little thing. You do that bit, God. I'm doing all this. I'm going to do this, 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 this. Just help out this little bit. That's not what Jesus requires of his people. That's not really, not really faith. Jesus requires full commitment Fall on your knees, fall full on your knees and say, Help God. Help. I can do nothing. I need you. Even if you, like the sailors, were very good at this. They were good boatsmen. You might be incredible at your job. You might be brilliant. But Jesus still wants you to say, Help. The Bible says, God is a very God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We often ask Jesus, we often say to Jesus, we pray, but really we're saying, let me help you, Jesus. I'll do this, but let me help you a bit, and I'll do this, this, this. Jesus wants us on our knees. He wanted the disciples on his knees, and that's what he wants from us. The Bible says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God loves humility. God is attracted and drawn to us when we say, God, help me, help me, I need you. 
And that's what he wanted from the disciples. And it, they made the mistake that often we do. We do, us, we do a lot of it ourselves. Our prayers are very tiny, really. But Jesus, so point one was Jesus is in control. I think he was rebuking them because they didn't think he was in control. Now that rebuke is that truth about Jesus being in control is only beautiful when it's married up with my next point. The other, other reason I think he rebuked them, and probably the main reason, is found in Mark's account of the story. Get my Mark one. Mark's account of the same story says this. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? It's a slightly different to master, master, we are perishing. It's a, you see, okay, there's more to it than that. They were saying, if they was master, master, it'd be like, Master, master, don't even care that we're perishing. They, they were worried that he didn't care. Despite the fact that they had been walking with Jesus for a long time now, they had seen him heal many people. They had seen many miracles. They had seen the emotion in his face, although when we read it, we don't see this. He was fully human as well as fully God, and God is a compassionate God. And there would have been times that his eyes welled up. There would have been times, that, well, it says he wept. We know, it, we know he had emotion. They would have seen the emotion that drew him to the decisions he made, the people he healed, the time when an old lady came to him crying for her, her daughter who was dying, and he healed the daughter in a different town. They would have seen him doing that. They would have seen him caring for multitudes of people. They would have seen the hours he put into teaching them, from morning to, from morning to evening, teaching, teaching, teaching. They would have seen this, and yet they didn't really believe it for themselves. How many of us know God cares, but we find it hard to believe it for us? You know what? I used to believe, I used to pray for people and believe, I still pray for people, thank goodness. But sometimes I pray for people and I would believe that God would heal them, put me in the position of being the, the prayee, that God's not going to heal me. Why is that? Do you find that? Do you find it harder to believe God's going to heal you if somebody prays for you or help you when somebody prays for you than you do when you pray for somebody else? I would suggest it might be because you find it hard to believe, understand truly that God cares for you dearly. Everyone else, yeah, but me? Yes, you as well. Yes, you as well. You see, Satan loves to whisper that one. That is really common. Doesn't really, he's not really care, he doesn't seem to care for you, does he? I know, he, of course he loves them, they're really godly. Look at what they're doing at church, but you? He does that a lot. Sometimes as over and blatant as that, and sometimes more subtle. But we need to hold on to a truth that God cares for you. He cares for you. Some of, so many Christians have what I refer to as felt-tip faith. God loves me on their arm. God loves me. And they know, oh, they believe it. Yeah, they've read the Bible, they believe it. It's there. Then when the, when the storms of life come and they bash against the boat of your, of your sea, the water comes in and it wipes, it wipes that off. The very time you need, well, you always need to know, the very time you need to know that truth the most is the very time it washes off with the water. We know it theologically, but we don't believe it deep down. Felt it faith. When what Jesus wants for us is tattooed trust. 
a trust where that somebody, you can't tattoo yourself, somebody else has to come and do that. And I would say, I believe, and the Bible would suggest that that person's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit witnesses to our, our soul that, that he loves us. And we can know it theologically, we can know what the Bible says, but you need a work of God to move that knowledge to that knowledge. Something that is there forever in good, in bad, in trauma, in ease. Yeah, I believe so. So we live in a culture, we live in a culture that's a culture, I would say, a culture of comfort. The world says, you know, if you're cared for, you deserve to be comfortable. Uh, what are you getting for your wife? A spa trip? She deserves to be, you know, she deserves some rest. That's love. You get the program saying, this is what you need. You've worked so hard. You deserve this. You deserve this. You deserve this. You know, underfloor heating, because God forbid walking on that kitchen floor without slippers. You need comfort. Comfort. Care equates to comfort. Not in the Bible. In the Bible, care does not equate to comfort. My son, my son has seizures. He hasn't had one for a year, thank Jesus. But he has seizures. And when he has his seizures, he has them as a result of temperature. He gets hot. So when the paramedics come over, the paramedics whip off his top. They put a, open the windows or put a fan on him if there's one available. And he's still convulsing. But I start to see his chin, chin even though he's not really there, his chin's going, like shivering. So you see him shivering, and everything in me is saying, put a top on him, turn the fan off, he's cold, shut the windows. But the paramedic knows that the way to reduce his temperature is to get him a little bit cold. And sometimes God does that for us. Sometimes the very instant situation you face, sometimes things get cold, sometimes things get uncomfortable because he's doing something in your core, something deeper that is more long-lasting and more permanent and better for us. We know that God cares for us. And I want us to read, read this verse together. We should know it off by heart. You should know it. It says this, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right. In the Bible, Jesus is story after story of Jesus caring. The story that grips me the most is the story of the cross. And it grips me the most because of this. Jesus is on the cross, and excuse me being crude and graphic but he's on the cross and his skin would have been flapping in the wind the, the crown of thorns on his head would have been hitting his skull through his flesh hitting his skull the nails, nails in his hand would have been awful as he left push, his body weight pushed down in his hands he, his lungs would have been drowning in blood he would have been dying from drowning he's had splinters on his back that were already ripped open as it was Despite agony that I could not, not convey in a message, despite unbelievable agony, he found it in himself to do this thing. Two people either side of him on the cross were mocking him, the Bible says. One version says both. One version says they were mocking him, just says mocking him. One of them, later on, it's a six-hour occurrence that goes on for a long time, 
During the course of this six hours, one of them starts to think, this guy's for real. This guy's, this guy's not messing around. He, he is who he says he is. And the guy on the cross says, Jesus, will you remember me when you go into your paradise? Jesus could have said, too late. Too late. But he didn't. He mustered up energy that he would have had very little of anyway, been in his situation, to speak. He could have nodded, he spoke. And he says this, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Didn't have to say that. He brings peace to that, he calms that guy's storm in that moment. He cares for him. He then looks down at his friend called John. And he says to John, again, how he's even mustering words, I, I, I can't fathom. He says to John, he points to Mary, his mum, who's also standing with John. He says, John, he says, John, this is your mother. He said that because John needed a mother. His best friend was dying. His world was being ripped apart and he needed a mother. Jesus was caring for John. Jesus then says to Mary, Mary, this is your son. He said that because he cared for Mary and she needed a son. She was losing a son and she needed a son. All of that in the most glorious story of Jesus dying for us, he conveys multiple examples of his care for us. Some of us need to know he cares for us. He cares for you. He cares for you. Some people are hearing it, it's bouncing off their head because it's hard to understand. He cares for you, and I pray the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you this morning on a deep level, on a, on a tattooed trust level that doesn't move in circumstances. Because it's often, the reason he takes us through this stuff is for the very reason that he cares for us. We go through difficult times because that stuff does something good in our character. People say, how could God love me if he's taking me through that? He loves you and he's taking you through that because he loves you. I know it doesn't make sense, but it does in the eyes of God. God has plans that are much greater than ours. The Bible says this. Cast all your anxieties on him because, anyone know? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. I used to struggle. I used to, yeah, I know God loves me, but he doesn't like me very much. I know, yeah, I know he loves me, but caring for me? God cares for you. God has affection for you. God feels positive, positively towards those who love Jesus. Positive emotions. He loves you. He cares for you. And what we're going to do now is I'm going to, if we all stand, if we can stand at this point, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for whoever, whoever this is for to raise your hands. And if we can all be um, respectful and close our eyes so people don't get embarrassed, that'd be great. Whether you're a leader or not, this is fine. I would put my hands up at this point as well. Could you put your hands up if, if you're struggling to give God your tot- his total control in a situation? Can you please put your hands up if you know God loves you from the Bible, but you find it hard to believe it when things get ugly? It sort of fate washes away. Put your hands up if you're currently going through what the Bible would refer to as a storm, a difficult time, whether it's internally or externally, whether it's in you or a circumstance. Okay, that's a lot of the room. Let me pray for all of you.
You can put your hands down, that's fine. It was almost before God. Holy Spirit, I pray for the, the, everyone that put their hands up and those that even didn't but wanted to. I pray for those people and I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who struggle to give you full control. Lord Jesus, do something in their heart in the area of faith. Lord Jesus, reveal your spirit to them. Holy Spirit, would you fall on them and help these people to give to you, give their control to you, knowing that you are always good and your motives are always best for us and your resolutions are always the best ones. Lord Jesus, I pray those people that find it hard to give you control, Lord Jesus, this week would be able to bow the knee before you more. Holy Spirit, give them the strength to do so. For those people who struggle to understand that God loves them in their heart when things, things get difficult, Lord Jesus, the Bible says you reveal that stuff. And would you do that? Lord Jesus, I pray against just a theological understanding and to a heart life-changing move, move of God in their hearts. Lord, move, Lord Jesus. Help people to know when things get tough, you love them deeply with an emotion, a pos- positive emotions. And for those who are facing storms right now in their life, whether it's the situation you want to still or whether it's them you want to still, Peace be still. Peace be still. Holy Spirit, have your way in their situations. Holy Spirit, whether it's very serious or whether it's seemingly minor, Lord Jesus, would they have victory in that situation where they say, you know what? Like Stephen, when he was getting stoned, saw Christ and had a face of an angel. Despite the darkest situation, would there be a lightness of God and a It's all right. God is with me. Move in this church. Move in this people. Will we be a people of faith, a people of trust, a people of commitment, a people who bow the knee and humble ourselves before you, Lord? Amen. 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 Um, Please hang around for teas and coffee. Oh, no. (laughs) Hang around, but I'm aware some of you might not want to hang around. Um, Teas and coffees at the back there. Hang around, chat, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys.